Welcome to another edition of Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. I'm Anthony T. In this edition, I will be talking about my thoughts on the state of the theatrical business in my eyes. As I recently returned to theaters for the first time in well over two years. I'll give you my thoughts on what I experienced the first time. And why, yeah. <laughs> I'll save it for that. Then you surely will go into my thoughts on AEW's Double or Nothing, which took place Memorial Day weekend, and in what's Anthony T. watching, yours truly reviews a film that I was so glad that I rented instead of buying the Blu-ray. I'll give you a hint. Is that Marvel film that everybody seems to hate. But first, the news. Let's start off with the big news. Nev Campbell will not be in Scream 6. That's right. She will not be in the next Scream film. Now, I'm probably going to be talking about this more on the Two From Hell podcast in our July episode. But I figured since this is early... I might as well talk about this now, because this seems to be the hottest topic going on. So, we're going to start off with it. She said that she is not going to appear in Scream 6 because they offered her less money. Or the way she put it in a Variety article, as a woman, I have had to work extremely hard in my career to establish my value, especially when it comes to Scream. I felt the offer that was presented to me did not equate to the value I have brought to the franchise. It's been a very difficult decision to move on to all my Scream fans. I love you. You've always been so incredibly supportive to me. I am forever grateful to you and to what the, this franchise has given me over the past 25 years. She also goes into the article talking about how she recalled that she had a similar experience with Scream 3, saying she did alright but did not get a back-end deal depriving her of a share of the profits. First of all, I don't know why she's bringing up Scream 3. That was the early 2000s. Seriously. If she felt that way in the early 2000s, then maybe she should have not done Scream 3. That's my opinion. If you feel like your value is more, you go for it. At that time, she probably could have gotten more money because she was more important in that franchise. And it was coming off Scream 2, which grossed $172 million at the U.S. box office. So, she had a lot of leverage to get a lot of money for Scream 3. I don't know why she didn't try this then. Sure, I feel sorry for her. Don't get me wrong. But if she's complaining about her pay for Scream 3... She had a lot of leverage going into Scream 3, considering that Scream 2 made $172 million at the box office. So, if she was complaining that she was underpaid for Scream 3, then I don't know what to say. Seriously, you had the leverage after Scream 2, because that franchise was at an all-time high. Right now, this franchise is not at an all-time high. It's, it's, quite frankly, at the bottom. Do I feel sorry? Yeah, maybe because she had a bad agent. But she could have leveraged Dimension Films at that time. Because that was the big one of the biggest things in Hollywood. The Scream franchise. She could have made more money at that time, but didn't. We're on Scream 6, 25, 26 years later, and the character's taken more of a back seat in the franchise. Am I going to miss her in the franchise? Yes. But you have to remember, horror films 
don't cost much to make. They're not like 50, 60, 70 million dollar films. And Scream 5 only made 62 million dollars at the box office here in the U.S. So, still, that's a good run for a movie that's made for like 15, 20 million dollars. But it's not going to be where the days where those films made $100 million at the box office. Those days in the franchise are gone. The fact that this one made $62 million was surprising, quite frankly. And if you add $44 more million globally, you get $100 million. The problem is these films are made cheaply. I'm assuming the budget for this film's probably going to be around the $20 million range, if that. And if Nev Campbell does not want to be in Scream 6, to me, that's fine with me. Because I'm ready for a new direction with the series. And I know it'll disappoint a lot of people when I say that, but you can't do the same thing forever and ever. The fact that we got Nev Campbell for Scream 5 was lucky. Because I really was surprised that she returned, even though that was such a small role. Plus, the story is not about Sydney anymore. It's about the new characters. Sure, you have Gail Weathers there, as Courtney Cox confirmed that she'll be in the new Scream film. But, it's time for the series to move on. You cannot have one character be a main character for, like, Eight, nine, ten films. And the last film, Scream 5, Sydney was more of a supporting character. So, that's probably what she was going to be in Scream 6 as well. A supporting character. So, if Nev Campbell does not want to be there, I have no problems with it. Seriously. It'll be different, but maybe it's for the best. Plus, she can return to the series anytime she wants to. I know a lot of Scream fans are losing sleep over this. I'm not. Because after a while, you need to go in a different direction. And I really thought 5 went in a very different direction. And it needs to continue to go in this different direction. The only legacy character you're going to have is Gail Weathers. Which is fine. Because, quite frankly... We have not gotten a Gale Weathers-centric story. That would be different. If she's the main character in Scream 6, I would have no problem with it. If she was a supporting character, same thing. I think the franchise needs to go in a different direction, and it is definitely going in this different direction, as we won't see Nev Campbell in Scream 6. Which is probably a good thing. I just hope they don't kill off Sydney off screen. That's the only thing I ask. But then again, Radio Silence is gambling as they're taking this very risky approach to Scream 6. Which is now going to be made even harder for them. Since Nev Campbell will not be there. But still, I really think this they'll pull off a good movie. I really do. And I don't think you need Sydney Prescott anymore. I really don't. She can have her happy ending. Which we all Scream fans want. If that was disappointing to me that Nev Campbell was not coming back for Scream 6. Because I like her. A lot. This gets me so bleeping angry. And yes, we're going to have to talk about Netflix. Because... I don't know what the bleep they are doing this year. Seriously. I don't get this company. I know they have financial problems. That's one thing. But first, the two horror movies that I watched on Netflix, Choose or Die and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, both got one star out of five films that got one star. That's a record. Usually I get five one-star films in a year. I got five one-star films by the beginning of June. And two of them courtesy of Netflix. Then, I've been watching Stranger Things on Netflix. Great series so far. 
only problem is every episode feels like a movie. And I will get to that eventually once this season ends. Because there's two more episodes to go. I don't know why they divided it into two parts where part one has seven full-length movies and part two has probably two full-length movies. I don't get this. I could literally have seen eight or nine movies off of season four of Stranger Things because every episode might as well just be a movie, not a TV series. And here it comes down to this recent news, which is to be taken as a rumor that JoeBlow.com has come out with. Which really is telling me why the hell do I even want to invest my time with Netflix. Because seriously, this really got me up in arms. There is a major rumor going around, according to JoeBlow.com, that there may be not one, but two more Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequels coming to Netflix. And yes, that did well for Netflix. Why? Please, why do we need two more Texas Chainsaw movies. So they could be as horrendous as the last one? Because the last one was definitely the worst of them all. Seriously. It's like they literally had Leatherface in Texas where it didn't feel like Texas. It was more like Leatherface in a ghost town in the wild, wild west. I don't get what is going on here? We do not want any more Texas Chainsaw Massacre films. I don't. There should be a moratorium on them. It's like every other year we get a Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. And they keep being bad. It's like, can anybody make a good Texas Chainsaw Massacre film? Because I really do not see anybody right now in their right mind that can make a good Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. And Netflix wants to do two more of these films? Do they really want to torture us horror fans that have to see it? Because quite frankly, I would be staring clear of them if it wasn't for the fact that I have two podcasts. Because if it wasn't for them, I'd probably be, you know what, brushing that aside. But instead, I got not one, but two more maybe coming. And that's not a good idea, Netflix. Please, no. I plead to you, no more Texas Chainsaw Massacre films for at least five years. So at least it can be wiped away from people's minds. Then somebody fresh, like maybe a Radio Silence, can do some wonders and actually make the franchise good. Because the last Texas Chainsaw Massacre film was the worst one I've seen all year. And quite frankly, right now, it's a very good shoe-in for worst film of 2022. Because that film was horrendous. It's just a collection of kill scenes. That's it. And annoying characters. But then again, Netflix... You continue to make crappy horror films. Maybe you should let Zack Schneider just continue making horror films for you guys. At least he could probably do them better than the people who made Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Choose or Die. Please, Netflix, I'm begging you. Do not greenlight two more Texas Chainsaw Massacre films. Please. I do not want to see another Texas Chainsaw Massacre film for at least five years after sitting through that abomination earlier this year. And quite frankly, let's just wrap the news up. Welcome to Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror films. Fiction and all that's fantastic. 
a weekly podcast where the discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. When you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. And speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I considered the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers were smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right. www.darkdiscussions.com wherever podcasts are found Welcome back. Now, last episode I talked about a film that I saw in theaters. Yeah, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. That was like the first film I saw in theaters in over two years. And when I went to the movie theater for the first time in like over two years, the matinee price was $11. It got to the point where it was $11 to see a matinee. The prices keep going up and up for these matinees. And now, when you see all these streaming services like Peacock and Paramount Plus and HBO Max throwing movies onto their streaming service 45 days after its theatrical release, and the fact that ticket prices are going up, and usually I used to pay like $9, $10 for a matinee, now it's going up to $11. Who knows what's next? $12? $13? $14? I'm going to go off horror a little bit here. There's this big movie currently out in theaters called Top Gun Maverick. Now, this is a film maybe I'll rush to see since it's a big event film. But looking at the way prices keep going up and up and up. You know what? I'll just wait 45 days until it hits Paramount Plus. Because I could care less about seeing a movie in a theater. I know I'll miss the theatrical experience. But still, prices just keep going up to the point where these streaming services are looking a lot better. And that's not a good thing, everyone. Seriously. Films are meant to be seen in a theater, not on a TV screen. But when you get the theaters, rising prices for matinees and stuff, the streaming services are becoming a lot more option-friendly for a person like me. Because I don't like to spend a lot of money, quite frankly. Sure, I'll spend the money if it's like a big event like say, the upcoming Jurassic Park film. I know I probably can see it on Peacock after 45 days, but since it's a film I really want to see, I'll go see it right away. But there's not going to be a lot of films I'm going to be rushing to see anytime soon, unless it's being released by Marvel, Columbia Pictures, Lionsgate, A24, because if it's released by, say, Warner Brothers... Paramount, Universal, and it's a film that I want to see, but I can wait 45 days. I'm going to wait 45 days. That's a problem when this whole COVID thing happened last year with HBO Max rushing all their movies to their streaming service, Day of Theaters. It got to a point where yours truly didn't want to go to the theater anymore. Seriously. And now, since they're going to give them a 45-day release window, it's proving to me that I'm willing to wait 45 days. And that's not a good thing, because it's really changing my viewing experience. I don't want my viewing experience changed. But if I'm looking at 
saving $11 to paying like $10 a month to get that movie plus everything else on that streaming service. Of course, I'm going to take the streaming service over going to see the movie in the theater. And that's not a good thing. They need to expand the window. If they expanded the window to 60 days, maybe I'll be more inclined to see movies from Paramount, Warner Brothers, and Universal. But right now, I'm not inclined to go see any of them right away. Unless it's a really big movie I want to see, like, say, the upcoming Jurassic World film or Halloween Ends at the end of the year. That's another one where I'll go to the theater and not wait 45 days and see the film. Because I really want to see Halloween Ends. But if I didn't really want to see those films right away, I'd wait 45 days. And that comes back to this Top Gun Maverick thing. I know this is not horror, everyone, but this is the big example right now. It's a film I really want to see, but you know what? I can literally wait 45 days. It's not a good sign for a regular movie theater goer like me. Because I would go and see those films right away. But you're just throwing them on the streaming, you know what? I'm just going to wait 45 days. I'm in no big rush to see this film. I'm really okay with it. Even though I watched the first one in theaters when I was very, very young, I'll just wait 45 days. And that's not good, seriously, business-wise. Because you're losing me as a customer for that film. Anyway, everybody's going out to see Top Gun Maverick, so it's not making any difference. But it's going to hurt these middle-of-the-road films. There's going to be this middle-of-the-road film that I want to see. But you know what? I'll just wait for five days. Because, you know, I don't need to pay $11. I don't have to see this film right away. I can just wait. And that's the problem with Warner Brothers, Universal Pictures, Paramount Pictures. They just don't give you a reason to go to the theater. Well, Universal's giving me two reasons. Because I do want to see you, the new Jurassic World film right away. But, unless I'm doing something for a podcast or anything, I won't be going to the theaters to see films released by Warner Brothers, Universal Pictures, and Paramount Pictures. Unless it's for a podcast or anything. Because there's no reason to spend over $11 where I can just spend that money on a streaming service, see the film, and get the whole streaming service for the month. It just makes no sense money-wise. And this is a problem that I think is going to plague these middle-of-the-road films in the future, quite frankly. They need to expand the window to 60 days, because 45 days is not rushing me to the movie theater. If it didn't rush me to the movie theater to see Top Gun Maverick then there is, I think, a major problem. And this is why I'm talking about this on my podcast. Because I love going to the movie theaters. But if you have prices set at $11 for a matinee, and it's just going to go up from there, and you're like Universal, Paramount, or Warner Brothers that has a streaming service that puts their movies on 45 days after its theatrical release... I'm just going to wait 45 days more, quite frankly. Because, you know what? There's no need to go. Unless it's something I really want to see. And 9 times out of 10, it's not going to be something I really want to see. I really think COVID changed the way I view my movie experience now. Because I'm not going to be rushing to all these event movies now. Because if you're just going to throw them on Paramount Plus... Peacock 45 days later, why should I go see the film at the theaters? Really, why should I see it at the theaters? Why? Give me a reason, Universal, Warner Brothers, and Paramount, to see these middle-of-the-road films. Because if I'm not going to go see Top Gun Maverick, which is a major film, I'm sure as hell not going to go see any of these middle-of-the-road films in theaters. Unless I have to, or it's 
a film I really want to see. And sadly, that's the state of what I think about movie theaters at the moment. And quite frankly, it is not good that I think this way. Because going to the movies is a fun experience. But with rising prices and all these streaming services, it's not going to help the movie theaters. It's not. Unless if it's a big time movie, it's not going to help the movie theaters. And it may get these lesser known films either not made or cut back on. Because at the end of the day, the people are just going to go see these big time movies and that's it. And that's not good. Especially if you're a subscriber to Peacock, Paramount Plus, and HBO Max. When you already have the service and you know the film is going to be on the service 45 days later. They need to expand it to 60 days. Just get rid of it all together. But something tells me I think that's here to stay. And that's not going to be a good thing for the theatrical business in the long run. I could be wrong, but that's my theory on the state of the theatrical business. Hi, I'm Anthony T. And I'm director Andrew Duran. And we are the Two From Hell. And we're putting Rated R back into podcasting. Every month, we will be dropping an episode on the Doc Discussions Network. We'll be chatting about some of our favorite films, news, reviews, and maybe interviews. You can find Two From Hell on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast providers. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at Two from Hell Podcast. Trust me, you're seriously not going to want to miss the show. Welcome back. Another show, another pay-per-view rundown. Last episode was WrestleMania Backlash from WWE. This episode, AEW's Double or Nothing 2022. That took place in Las Vegas, Nevada on May 29th. 2022 at the T-Mobile Arena. Now going into this pay-per-view, there was controversy if MJF would show up to this pay-per-view. As the day before, he would no-show a meet-and-greet, which really put a lot of people worried that this pay-per-view could get off the rails quickly because one of your major stars no-shows a pay-per-view. Thankfully, MJF showed up on the pay-per-view and wrestled Warlow, because literally, I don't know, that was stupid, seriously. No showing a meet and greet. Really. From what I hear, that's a shoot. For various sources. So there was drama before going into this pay-per-view. If he would or would not show up on the pay-per-view, thankfully he showed up. And thankfully they put his match on first. So we're not left guessing through the entire show if he's going to show up or not. I think it was a good idea to get MJF and Wardle out of the way. Given what transpired the couple days before Double or Nothing. But I'm here to talk about the pay-per-view. We're not talking about this anymore. But I figured I'd give you a little backstory. Because there was some drama going into this pay-per-view. But this was a very good show from top to bottom. With maybe a couple of things I didn't like at all. Let me quickly run down the results of this pay-per-view. The pre-show only had one match. Danhausen and Hook defeated Tony Nese and Smart Mock Sterling by pinfall. Then Wardlow defeated MJF. To start off this pay-per-view, then we had the Hotties defeat the Young Bucks. Jade Coghill defeated Anna Jay to retain the TBS Championship. The House of Black defeated Death Triangle. Adam Cole won the Men's Own Hot Cup Tournament by defeating Samoa Joe. Dr. Britt Baker defeated Ruby Soho to win the Women's Own Hot Cup. American top team of Ethan Page, Scorpio Sky, and Paige Van Sant defeated Frankie Kazarian, Sammy Guevara, and Ty Conte. Meaning Frankie Kazarian and Sammy Guevara can never challenge for the TNT title along as 
Scorpio Sky's champion, Kyle O'Reilly, defeated Darby Allin. Thunder Rosa defended the AEW Women's Championship by defeating Serena Deebs. The Jericho Appreciation Society defeated Brian Danielson, John Moxley, Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. Jurassic Express retained the AEW World Tag Team titles by defeating Keith Lee, Swerve Strickland, and Team Taz. And in the main event, CM Punk defeated Hangman Adam Page to become the new AEW World Heavyweight Champion. I have to say, this was a really good pay-per-view from start to finish. It has a couple of negatives, which I'll get to at the end. But this was, overall, a very good pay-per-view. Is this the best pay-per-view AEW's ever done? No. I still probably think... All Out from last year is their best pay-per-view. That or this year's Revolution, as both of those pay-per-views are very good. Now, some of my favorite matches on this card, as there were a couple that I really liked on this show. First, the six-man tag with the House of Black versus Death Triangle. I thought this match was very good. This match was worth the wait, as this match was very entertaining, fast-paced, a lot of really good in-ring action. All six competitors in the ring worked very well together, as I really love the House of Black. As they are really, I think, one of my favorite stables, if not probably the second-best stable, or first-best stable. It's kind of high between that and Blackpool Combat Club as my favorite stable in AEW. It's hard to choose between those two, seriously, as they're both great stables. But anyway, back to the match between the House of Black and Death Triangle. That was a very good match. Love this match a lot. This match ends when Pac goes for the Black Arrow, only for the lights to turn off. When the lights turned on, Julia Hart showed up and blew black mist into the eyes of Pac, leading to Malachi Black hitting the Black Mass for the win, effectively turning Julia Hot heel and joining the House of Black. This was a great match, and it finally ends this whole Julia Hot storyline of will she turn or will, won't she turn? Because that's been dragging on for a couple months. Thankfully, they've ended that storyline because. Just kept guessing and guessing and guessing. At least we got the payoff here, which is good. They finally paid it off in a way that it ends that story. With her now joining the House of Black. The next match I really liked was the Kyle O'Reilly versus Darby Allin match. This was a very good match. And I was kind of surprised that Kyle O'Reilly won this match cleanly. As both of them were very good in this match. Both of them really worked well in the ring. I was surprised there was no interference in this match at all. This was clean. Which is kind of surprising. I was expecting Bobby Fish to show up in this match. But he didn't. Kyle O'Reilly nails a knee drop from the top rope to beat Dobby Allen. This is very good. I wouldn't mind seeing another match with them given more time, as both of them are very good in the ring. And it's one of those matches that really snuck under the radar in terms of really good wrestling, considering this is like a 13-match COD and everything. The next match I really love was that 10-man tag team match. Anaki in the arena, yes. That match was bleeping insane from start to finish. This felt like the stadium stampede matches from a couple years ago. The match featured the Jericho Appreciation Society. Yeah. Of Chris Jericho, Daniel Garcia, Jake Hager, Angelo Parker, and Matt Menard. Versus Brian Danielson, John Moxley, Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. This match started once Wild Thing, John Moxley's entrance theme, started playing. Then it was just on. Everyone brawling all over the place. In the stands. On the concourse. While Wild Thing was blasting on the sound speaker. This felt like a new Jack match. Now, if anybody 
who doesn't know who New Jack was, the late New Jack. He was a wrestler that pretty much came to the ring with a carriage full of weapons and literally used everyone on his opponents while music was blasting for the entire match. Well, the music in this match was blasting for at least the first five, ten minutes of this match until Chris Jericho ripped up the soundboard, shutting off the music. It was so chaotic. It was action all over the place, which really made this a great match. This is probably one of the most insane AEW matches I've ever seen. It's up there with Omega Moxley. It's up there with the Stadium Stampede matches as the most insane matches I've seen in AEW. This was just insane. You had one point Kingston bringing out a can of gasoline to try to light Chris Jericho on fire, which of course was never going to happen. But still, that visual of Eddie Kingston coming down to the ring with that gas can was terrifying. Damn. I like how he sewed that visual very well. Looked like a man possessed. It really helped. The craziness of Eddie Kingston. The match ends when Danielson and Kingston are fighting with each other. Because, well, over that gas can, after he poured it on to Jericho, Danielson hits a running knee after that debacle for near full. Then, Danielson gets caught in the walls of Jericho, while Jake Hager uses a ring cable... To choke Brian Danielson, having him pass out to end the match. It was just pure insanity. Literally pure insanity. And this feud is continuing because up next in this feud is Blood and Guts. That will be happening as that was one of the major things that came out of the Dynamite after Double or Nothing. There will be a Blood and Guts match between the Jericho Appreciation Society and Eddie Kingston, Santana, Ortiz, John Moxley, and another partner. We don't know if it's Brian Danielson or it could be Wheeler Uter. So we don't know who the fifth person is because right now they're teasing dissension between Danielson and Kingston. So we don't know what that's going to entail. So keep an eye on that. Then the main event, Adam Page versus CM Punk. This was a very good title match. CM Punk winning the AEW World Championship. To me, I think this is the right call to have CM Punk win the championship. Paige has had it since full gear. Plus the fact that you have this whole thing with Discovery, Warner Media going on. And you want to see if you can try to increase ratings. And with Adam Page, don't get me wrong, is a great wrestler. But... Ratings have been stagnant to just about even during his championship run. So I think it was time for him to drop the belt and see if CM Punk can bring up ratings. The two of them have a really good match. There's a lot of very good storytelling in this match. I like how the two of them worked well in the ring. Their in-ring style worked well. They had good chemistry with each other as this was a very entertaining match. The end was very good. I have to admit, the end saw the referee knocked out and in the corner of the ring was the AEW World Championship belt. Adam Page grabs the World Championship belt and thinks about hitting CM Punk with the championship belt to basically protect AEW from CM Punk. But he doesn't use the championship belt and CM Punk gets to go to sleep for the three count and we have a new AEW World Heavyweight Champion and the only title change on this pay-per-view. This is a very good match storytelling wise. I like how it really furthers the character of Hangman Adam Page and it's gonna be interesting to see what happens next with him and CM Punk as there were a lot of really good positives to this pay-per-view. You had all these great matches that I just talked about. Plus, you had Warlow 
squashing MJF with about 10 power bombs. There's no need to talk about that in the open since that was pretty much a squash match. You also had three debuts on this pay-per-view. You had Stokely Hathaway, a.k.a. Malcolm Bivens in NXT debut at the end of the Jake Coghill Energy TBS Championship match. Helping Jade retain her title. You had Athena, formerly known as Amber Moon in WWE, debuting right after the TBS Championship match. And in a promo with Adrade El Idolo, El Torre Blanco Roosh debuted for the company as well, as it looks like they're forming a new stable. As Adrade El Idolo, it looks like he's getting rid of everyone in the Adrade family office, which is probably a good idea because he was going nowhere with that stable. With Roosh, at least his history between him and Roosh from the days in CMLL, which will make things interesting for everything in AEW because they were in a stable in. CML called Los Inconables, the Ungovernable, more of a heel faction. So it looks like we're going to get some sort of Los Inconables stable in AEW. But as much as I really love this pay-per-view, there were a couple of negatives which I did not like at all. Seriously. First off, when the hell are they going to push Ruby Soho? Seriously, I know she got the pin in a tag match on Dynamite the Wednesday after the pay-per-view, but she should have won the Owen Hot Women's Tournament. Seriously, I don't know why they chose Dr. Britt Baker to win the tournament. You need to build stars. Dr. Britt Baker is already a made person in AEW. She could have taken the loss. But instead, they decide to book her to win the match, which she did not need to win the Owen Hot Cup. Seriously, Dr. Britt Baker did not need to win it. The only reason why she won it, so they can get this nice visual of her and Adam Cole winning both the men's and women's Owen Hot tournament. And that really kind of bugged me. Seriously, as that tournament should have been used to build new stars. I have no problem with Adam Cole winning the men's own hot cup. But I really do have a problem with Dr. Britt Baker winning the women's own hot cup. Because you could have built a new star right there. But they chose not to. Which I really was going bonkers on my personal Twitter. Because seriously... Dr. Britt Baker did not need to win it. Seriously. Ruby Soho needed it more. She needed a major win in this promotion. And they didn't give her it at this pay-per-view, which drove me bonkers. Seriously. She should be up there at the top echelon of the women's division in AEW. She's a very talented wrestler, plus she's very good in the ring. She deserves to be up there with the best and I feel like sometimes she's lost in the shuffle. Case in point, the Owen Hot Cup Finals where she loses to Dr. Britt Baker. I really wished they'd given her the win. It would have built a new star. Plus, you needed a new challenger for Jade Coghill anyway. Even though you have Athena. But still, she could have challenged her or Thunder Rosa. But instead, they just go with Dr. Britt Baker just to get this visual of Britt Baker and Adam Cole together. It's just, uh, I don't know. I just don't get booking sometimes from both companies. And I love AEW, but I question this move, seriously. And the other thing I really question was the fact that I had to stay up to almost 1 o'clock in the morning for this pay-per-view. It's bad enough. I have to sit through four, four and a half hours. But I do not need to see another hour, quite frankly. Don't get me wrong. It was worth it with the last two matches. But I'm 42 years old. I'm not young. 
I like to go to bed at a certain time. I'm conditioned with these AEW pay-per-views to go to bed at 12 a.m., not 1 a.m. And that's what it really irked me about, is that it just... By the time we got to the end, I was starting to fall asleep. Even though the matches kept me up, that did a good job keeping me up. Because I could have just easily fell asleep. But they cannot be dragging their pay-per-views from 8 o'clock to 1 a.m. in the morning. Quite frankly, Eastern Standard Time. And I don't want to hear anything about, oh, Game 7 of the NBA Conference Finals. Changing things. Or doing this or that. It's just, I don't want to hear it. I like my pay-per-views to end by at least midnight. I like to go to bed. I'm not 23 years old. I'm 42 years old. But still, it was a great pay-per-view, quite frankly. I really highly recommend you check this show out. For Death Triangle vs. House of Black. The 10-man tag with Jericho Appreciation Society. Eddie Kingston, Santana, Ortiz, John Moxley, Brian Danielson, Darby Allen vs. Kyle O'Reilly is another really good match. And the main event, of course, Adam Page, CM Punk. Overall, this was a very good pay-per-view. I enjoyed it. But I do not want to stay up till 1 a.m. in the morning to watch a wrestling pay-per-view. I'm sorry. It's not like I'm young. I'm getting up in age. Pay-per-view should end by midnight, not one in the morning. This is not the UFC or boxing. This is wrestling. Overall, definitely check out AEW's Double or Nothing 2022, as that was a fun pay-per-view. Every day, there's a family struggling with hospital bills to care for their sick child who is fighting an illness. There's a woman who is fighting breast cancer and is having trouble making ends meet while paying for their treatment. And there are burn victims that are going through treatments to heal their deep wounds. There is a charity in the horror community that helps these people. Scares That Care is an organization that helps families deal with the bills for their child. They help women get the treatment they need to fight breast cancer, and they help people who are dealing with severe burns get the help they need to heal. Scaresack Care is a 100% volunteer organization and 501c3 nonprofit charity that is dedicated to helping these people in fighting real monsters. To find out more information or to donate to Scares That Care, you can go to www.scaresthatcare.org. Every donation helps Scares That Care fight real monsters. You'll find Anthony T's horror and wrestling show on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Instagram, and the Slasher app at Anthony Power and Wrestling. And on Twitter at Anthony Power. You'll find new episodes on DocDiscussions.com, major podcast providers, and YouTube. Welcome back. What's Anthony T. watching? Well, in the beginning of this podcast, I told you that I was going to review a film that I was so glad that I rented instead of buying. You see, because I've heard a lot of bad things about this film. And it's to the point where yours truly decided I was not going to buy the Blu-ray. I figured I'll see it first on VOD because quite frankly I've been hearing a ton of bad things about it. When I hear bad things about it plus a Rotten Tomato score of 16% yours truly is probably not going to buy the Blu-ray right away because seriously I don't want to go wasting my money on films that may suck. And yes, it's another Marvel film. Yeah, as 
I'm talking about Morbius. And boy, I wished I skipped this film. Now, this is a film that really got hammered by a lot of people. Critics, people I know. So, I really did not want to buy this film right away. Because I've survived films such as Eternals. Thor, The Dark World, all those are bad Marvel films. But this takes the cake. Probably the worst Marvel film of them all. And the sad thing is, this is also a horror film too. Meaning, I gotta talk about this film on this podcast. Which I really don't want to talk about. But, well, since it's a horror film... And it's Marvel. Yours truly's gonna do it. He's gonna review it. I don't know where to begin with this disgraceful of a film, Morbius. I thought this film was a complete mess from start to finish. This was one of those films where it was rushing at every chance it could get. All the action scenes in this film felt like Going 90 miles per hour. It's like there's no slowdown. There's no breather. It's like this rush from one scene to the next. Into the next. Into the next. And that, you cannot do that. You cannot do that and tell a story. Because this film has no story. It's horrible. It felt nauseating at times watching this film quite frankly. This is not how you make a film. This is not how you make a superhero film. This is not how you make a horror film. I don't know. This is just horrifically bad. And a lot of it has to do with the screenplay for this film. Because, quite frankly, the screenplay was just flat out horrible. Writers Matt Sazama and Burke Shopless screenplay was just awful. Literally, it was awful. It's like... They did not take any time to make a story. It's like they needed to throw endless action scene after action scene. Let's rush it of quick flashback in between too. Why not in the beginning? As this film is just like rushing through everything. Like it's in some sort of hurry. Because literally I did not care about any of the characters. The characters felt one dimensional. And if. That wasn't enough. That really irked me. The direction here from director Daniel Espinoza was just as horrible here. He does not do a good job with the way he directs his cast. All of his cast here looks very lifeless. It looked like nobody wanted to be on this set. This film like was so dull. And the action scenes not that great neither, as it's just too chaotic. It doesn't make sure nothing slows down. I felt bored at times watching this film. All the characters felt like they had no chemistry with each other. It was like watching a film where you're just completely disinterested in everything. And this is supposed to be a comic book film. How hard is it to make a comic book film that's interesting? Seriously. But between the screenplay and this bad direction, nothing was right. And to make matters even worse, the acting in this film is so horrible. Jared Leto as Morbius was just a wrong choice here. Seriously. As this guy really doesn't bring any charisma to the character at all. It felt like this character was just brooding the entire time. I just never got into his performance. He doesn't even interact well with the other actors. It was just horrible. Seriously, it's literally one—it's one of the worst performances I've seen all year. You don't have any reason to care about his character because he's just so dark and so brooding. It's like he doesn't try to bring any personality to the character. Maybe some of it's the script, but just just no attempt to try to make this character 
go beyond the horrible script. It's like he just sat there, did his lines, went home. And I was also surprised that Matt Smith was also bad in this film too. Who's mostly known as Doctor Who. He was also very bad as the film's villain. It's like he was trying to copy Jared Leto in his performance. It's just like they're all brooding. It's like I don't need to see brooding characters. At least have your villain be charismatic after the transformation. Minor spoilers. And sadly, we don't get it here. It's just, this is just a horrible film from start to finish. Seriously, I was so glad that I rented Morbius. Because if I did not rent Morbius and go, went ahead and brought it, it would have been sitting in my film library. And that would have been so embarrassing. Quite frankly here. Literally, another film with one star. And it, you know it. We're up to six films with one star this year. This has not been a good year for horror. Seriously. Everybody thinks, oh, it's a good year. But the way I judge what's a good year is how many one-star films, how many five-star films. And right now, this has not been a good year for horror. As I have now six one-star films. And we're not in July yet. And I've broken my record of one-star films in June. This may be a long six months. I got a bad feeling. Then again, I could be wrong. You can add Morbius to the list of one-star films, which includes C for Me, Attack of the 50-Foot Cam Girl, Choose or Die, Firestarter, and the abomination known as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. And yes, I've already talked about that enough on this podcast. Don't waste your time on Morbius. It's so horrible. It's quite frankly one of the worst superhero films that Marvel has either put out or co-produced. As it's up there with the Eternals as their worst. That's all I got with this film. I've had it. It's like, why can I not get a good vampire film? Seriously. As Morbius is a complete mess that rushes everything and has no bite. Now, I told you at the beginning of the podcast, I had an announcement. Well, yours truly will be joining the Doc Discussions team over at Scares That Cares Weekend over at Williamsburg, Virginia. That event is set to take place July 29th through the 31st at the Doubletree by the Hilton Hotel Williamsburg in Williamsburg, Virginia. I will be there promoting both Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show and Two From Hell. So, I will be at the booth at times because I really want to promote especially the new podcast, Two From Hell. And speaking of Two From Hell, don't forget to check out the second episode of Two From Hell as me and Andrew talk about Ty West's ex, the abomination known as Firestarter, and our top three guilty pleasure films including a guilty pleasure film from Andrew that made my jaw drop. Seriously, my jaw did drop because I really love that film so much. And The Lovely Couple. If you don't know what I'm talking about, check out episode two of Two From Hell. It's available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. You can find all the information on the Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show at Anthony T's Horror Wrestling on Facebook, Instagram, and the Slasher app, and Anthony T's Horror on Twitter. With that, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a good day. Support indie wrestling and support indie horror. <laughs>